thrilled to be here with you talking Dallas Cowboys football. As always, the Cowboys are now a 12-win team for the second year in a row. Um, they play the Washington Commanders on Sunday. Sorry, I'm going to adjust my camera. The Washington Commanders on Sunday in Washington, a game that could win them the NFC East and a home playoff game or two could win them the number one seed or the number two seed. You want Tom Brady in Tampa in week one, or you want friggin' Aaron Rodgers at home at AT&T Stadium. Let's talk Cowboys and off of the helmets next. So here we are at 325 on Sunday afternoon. Your Dallas Cowboys will face the Washington Commanders in D.C. Note a couple of these notes. They will face the Commanders in Washington, D.C., a beautiful town, too, by the way, if you've never been, with a chance to win game number 13. Game number 13. That would be 25 wins in two seasons for this Dallas Cowboys team the last two years. 12, and if they win on Sunday, 13. Guess how many teams in the last two years have won 25 games? Two. The Dallas Cowboys and the Kansas City Chiefs. Period. Not San Francisco, not Buffalo, not Cincinnati, not the Rams who won the Super Bowl, not Baltimore who always wins lots of games, not Pittsburgh, none of them. Not the Packers, none of them. This will be the first time since 1995 and 96 that a Cowboys team is the first time already has won double-digit wins in back-to-back -back seasons. It will be the first time ever, other than 1992 and 93, that a Cowboys team ever, other than 92 and 93, has 25 combined wins in two seasons. 92-93 was the only other time. Mike McCarthy did this. Dan Quinn did this. Kellen Moore. Will McClay certainly had a major hand in this. Stephen and Jerry Jones and a slew of other talented, committed coaches. Those guys did this. And so did Dak and Zeke and Tank and Diggs and Zach. Said Zach twice. I think he deserves it. And CD and Schultz and Leighton Vander Esch, Tony Pollard, Dorrance Armstrong, and of course, Micah Parsons and others. But those are your primary guys. And most of those guys played all of these games and were a huge part in two really successful seasons. Before we really dig in, I have to reflect a little bit on this roller coaster ride for all of us, and that's selfish, uh, that has been DeMar Hamlin and the young man that I sat down, very interested to watch a what was going to be a great Buffalo Bills-Cincinnati Bengal game last Monday. As most of you know, I'm from Kansas City. So I'm rooting in that game for Cincinnati to win that game and for Buffalo to drop. Kansas City wins on Sunday and they get the number one seed. If the Chiefs happen to lose, Cincinnati gets the number one seed. There's intrigue everywhere, not to mention Kansas City, Cincinnati, and Buffalo are three of the best teams in all of the NFL. It's going to be great stuff. And then all of a sudden, a young man makes what looks like a very routine hit in DeMar Hamlin, Cincinnati safety. And he suffers in front of all of us, including his teammates, the opposition, a bunch of people that he knows and loves, and his parents. Cardiac arrest. Heartbreaking to witness. Um, can only imagine what all of those people that were there I've raised five kids. There, there are no words. And, and I immediately have that emotional side of me that goes to, what if that's Jake, Luke, Connor, Kyle, Kelsey? I, I don't know what I would do. I don't know if I could go on. I don't know how I would react. All of you that are parents, I know we all had you know, our own visceral reaction to this, but it was 
all of a sudden, I didn't give a damn who the seeds were or who won or lost or whether it was a good hit. I wanted to know why a barely 24-year-old was laying on the ground in cardiac arrest and they were giving him, they were trying to resuscitate him and restart his heart. It was heartbreaking. And in the end, it seems like that we have a miracle that God has stepped in here, uh, that this young man now, what is it, three days later, four days later, appears completely neurologically intact and reports that I saw today, this is Friday afternoon, are that he's having conversations with the doctor and his family and his mother. It's amazing. It was something. And it led me to believe once I stopped being sad, has this ever happened? I'm old enough to remember Daryl Stingley, the wide receiver for the New England Patriots, getting a spinal cord injury in front of all of us on the field in a, I don't remember this, it is was a preseason game. And if you're my age, you may be saying, yes, against the Raiders. And it was Jack Tatum that hit him. And it was. And the Raiders of those days were known to be a badass, physical, borderline, dirty team. I don't know how old I was. I wasn't very old. But I remember thinking, God, those Raiders, nasty and dirty. And they hurt him. And they were trying to hurt him. And they weren't. Uh, they didn't. It was football. And we've all seen it over and over again. We've witnessed this year Tua Tungavailoa have a, what, sh a, what has to have been handled incorrectly, but maybe it wasn't, where his head bounces off the turf and he gets up staggering and no one checks on him. No one does anything. His teammates, someone, they're holding him up and he comes back into the game and then he's had two since. And all I can think of as a parent is, where are his parents? I know he's going to tell you this is his life. No, it's not. I, I know that this is all he wants to do, and he doesn't want to leave his comrades, and he wants to play football. I know. But from every perspective, and the most important one is he needs to live a life. He's a brilliant, cool young man who probably, just as a sidebar, already has $20 million, so he's good to go, and it isn't his life. And if I was the parent, I would be doing all I could do, and you can't order them. You can't stop them. But I would be telling my son everything I could tell him to convince him. I would. So all of this has been disturbing for me. And yet, selfishly, it's been an incredible season for someone who gets to cover the Dallas Cowboys, who is a Kansas City Chiefs fan and who loves the NFL. There have been more upsets, more intrigue. Brady's done. Rodgers is done. Only, oh, wait, they're not done. Um the Vikings are going to win, what, 13 or 14 games with a plus-minus of, like, minus 10. They've scored 10 less points than their opponents, and they've won 13 games. The fuck does that happen? It doesn't. All right, we push forward. An injury that has all of a sudden looks like it has a really good side, Damar Hamlin of the Bengals. I will continue to pray for him, as I know you will. Cowboys injuries. Tyler Bidet's their center, who maybe as little as a year ago, plenty of us thought, this is probably not the guy. Although I was hearing from people in Wisconsin and people that watched him play college football to say, it is, that's your guy, and he will get better, and he works every day, and he's a good player, and he has been. He's a solid center on a really good offensive line, and an offensive line, as we all know, that was sort of patchwork together this year that has been overall outstanding. I mean, that offensive line and the ability to run the football and play defense saved this season, and we'll get to that. So Tyler Bidet's is out. It's a high ankle sprain. It is the second one of those in about 16 months for him. So I don't know whether that makes it easier to come back from or something that seems like it is more chronic. I don't, I'm not a doctor, but I know it's the second. 
He joins a list of hopefuls to be back for the playoffs. If you travel to Tampa or if you happen to get a bye week, whatever that may be, uh, Tyler Bidets, Leighton Vander Esch, and defensive tackle Jonathan Hankins that the Cowboys traded for from the Raiders. All three of those guys are massively important to this football team. Who is out and that you'll be missing? Jordan Lewis will not be back. Neither will Anthony Brown. Neither will Terrence Steele. And there's more to it than just, well, we're missing two starting corners and the starting right tackle. From the human point of view, which I see when I talk to these guys and I get to know these guys, uh, Anthony Brown will be an unrestricted free agent. I think there was a very good chance he got another contract to play here in Dallas, and maybe he still will. But this certainly puts a dent in that. Terrence Steele, the same. Two years ago, we all knew Terrence Steele can't play. As this season went along, we realized he certainly can play. We heard his name less and less. And again, he was part of an offensive line sort of thrown together that played really damn good football. He also will be an unrestricted free agent, and his chances to stay with the Cowboys certainly lessen. That sucks. Playoff scenarios. The Cowboys win in Washington and go to 13-4. and four. San Francisco loses at home against Arizona. Mm, probably not. And Philly loses at home against the New York Giants. Probably not. Vegas says San Francisco is a 14-and-a-half-point favorite. That's massive. Those lines, if you want to make a bet all year, have hardly ever been met. Uh, the under comes in on those lines. The the underdog wins almost all season. It's been an under totals year, and it has certainly not been a year where double-digit favorites at any part of this season have covered hardly at all. San Francisco ain't losing at home to Arizona. They haven't lost in two months. They're playing great. Ever since the major trade, everything's gone right, except they lost another quarterback, but it doesn't matter. They put a kid from Iowa State in that nobody knows who's just fitting into the system again. It's a really well-coached, really good football team. Philadelphia loses at home against the Giants. Giants don't really have anything to play for. They're in. On the other hand, the Giants won two unlikely Super Bowls with Eli Manning at the helm beating the New England Patriots. And they did it in the same fashion. That was they came sort of quietly from out of nowhere, ended up a wild card team at the last minute, and got a whole bunch of momentum going and got their big blue wrecking crew on and went on and were defensively dominant and offensively efficient and won two unlikely Super Bowls. Okay? We all remember it. However it went, whether the ball was pinned to the side of his head and it's unlike what whatever. The New York Giants and Eli Manning twice beat Tom Brady and the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl, and they did it by gathering momentum. Brian Dable has coached up this New York Giants team, has improved their quarterback, made him more efficient, less turnover prone. Um, Saquon Barkley has played a full year healthy. The defense has gotten better and better. They've lost a lot of players that they need. Their chances of winning games in the playoffs aren't great. This makes me think that while it seems... Vegas obviously thinks that New York Giants are going to sit everyone. Barkley wouldn't certainly isn't going to play. Won't shock me if they do. So if you want to bet, and you also are rooting like all of us are for the Giants to somehow go to Philadelphia and win, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. It's just not. You play this many times against the same teams in your division over and over and over again, you know that team. 
watch Kansas City struggle with Denver and the Chargers and the Raiders and whatever. I mean, it happens in every division, no matter what. Watch watch the Ravens struggle with the Titans. I mean, that's going to happen in week 18. Okay, oh, I got that wrong. I think the Titans play Jacksonville. But anyway, the, the point is, watch the Ravens struggle with the team that's in their division. It happens everywhere. It's not just to your team. So the Giants have a puncher's chance if they decide they want to play. And I haven't heard anything. But it will not shock me when Brian Dable comes out and says, we are not resting anyone. We are going to Philadelphia and we're going to play our best game and we're going to do everything we can do to beat the Philadelphia fucking Eagles because we hate them and because we want to continue this momentum that we have that most didn't think we were going to get. Got it. Number one seed, if San Francisco and Philadelphia both lose, is the Dallas Cowboys if they win in Washington. Number two seed, if Philadelphia loses and San Francisco wins, San Francisco would get the number one seed. Dallas would get the number two seed. In that scenario, you would welcome the Green Bay Packers to AT&T Stadium for a home game. And if you win that one, you'd probably get another home game. So certainly that's what you want. Or the number five seed to go to Tampa, which is highly likely. Number five seed to the Cowboys to go to Tampa. Tom Brady's 45. They put it on your team in week number one, 19 to three. It was worse than that. It sort of felt like 40 to three. Uh, they knocked your quarterback out in Dak Prescott. Uh, the season was certainly over. There was nothing about that game that made any of us feel like that this team had a chance at all. And once you found out that Dak's thumb had the tear in it and he was going to need surgery, we're done. We're done. And are we considering tanking? And are we considering that there are three or four quarterbacks in this draft you might want? And what is the damage to try and get out from underneath Dak Prescott's contract? All of those things came into my mind. And certainly they ran past you at some point, no matter how much you may love Dak. Okay. It's a lot of money. And this is a salary cap league. All of those things happened and got thought by all of us. So now it's time for payback because it didn't happen. Dak was able to miss five games. Cooper Rush went four and one in those five games. The Cowboys came out of that situation completely unlikely with victories over the Giants and Cincinnati and two other teams that I can't remember. Washington, I think, was one of them. And so now it's time for payback if you have to travel to Tampa. Because guess what? You're the better team. You have more good players. You're playing better. And it doesn't make a damn bit of difference to this Dallas Cowboys team whether they go to Tampa or not. They will not be rabid in Tampa. You ever spend any time in Florida? The fans and sports fans in Florida are average to shitty. You know why? There's so much to do in Florida. There's so much to do. So if you present them a phenomenal team that may win a championship, then they'll come. They'll come out. They'll be there. They'll, they'll be rowdy. Yeah, whatever. Sort of like California. It's the same thing. Lived in California. Uh, not that many people go to any of the games. The Dodgers are, are a treasure and are in first place every year. And they don't sell out. Or if they do, they don't show up till the sixth inning. It's just what happens in the two paradise states of this country, or two of them. So you're not going to get overwhelmed nor overwrought with the brutal fans and the loud noise in Tampa, nor by the 45-year-old quarterback who's had a rough year, both physically and personally. You're not. Uh, Tom's been average. Evans woke up last week. Fournette has been asleep for eight or nine weeks, but maybe awake. Julio might as well be 50. Um, it, it, it doesn't make any difference. Play a very good game in Tampa, and the Cowboys will win and advance. In that game, where they lost 19-3, to but it seemed like 40-3, to Dak Prescott threw for 134 yards and a pick and then got hurt. 
Zeke had 52 yards. Pollard had six carries for eight yards. CD had two catches for 29 yards. And Dalton Schultz was your star with seven catches for 62 yards. They were stifled. And now Cooper Rush was going to be your quarterback. But instead, they went and won four straight games. They were four and two when Dak got back, and they have been working their way forward and upward ever since. As far as last week went and this week goes, the analyst in me, the prag uh, pragmatic side of me says, Parsons shouldn't have played last week. Tank, Dorrance, Pollard, Zeke, now Pollard didn't play, all could have greatly benefited because you're going to go with the number five seed to Tampa. You just are. All could have greatly benefited from rest. Instead, Micah Parsons played with a hook on the end of his hand and certainly played pretty well. And so I was wrong because now you're in line. If you win this week and Philadelphia happens to lose or Philadelphia and San Francisco lose, you can get where you always wanted to be, the number one or number two seed. I was wrong. Unless you think the Cowboys could have possibly dared to play the Tennessee Titans and their backup second or third string quarterback with no Derrick Henry and one without Micah Parsons or Tank Lawrence. They could have. And they would have. But it's a side. At 325 in Washington, D.C. on Sunday, the 7-8-1 and one commanders will welcome in the now 12-win, looking for 13-win Dallas Cowboys. The Eagles will play at exactly the same time at home against the New York Giants. San Francisco will play at exactly the same time. I think it's at home as well against Arizona. Two unlikely games to have losses. But on the other hand, we've been saying that for two weeks about Philadelphia. It looks like their quarterback will play. So we'll see. The Cowboys will be in Washington to take on a division opponent. Ron Rivera is the coach. He's a good coach. Uh, Brian Robinson has turned out to be a really good running back. He's come back from three bullet holes in his legs to have nearly a 1,000-yard season and a limited number of games. He's a good player. Terry McLaren is a very good wide receiver, but their quarterback is a young man, to be honest with you, that I don't know named Sam Howell. For all I know, Thurston and Lovey are his parents. That would be great. If you got that joke, you're old. The Cowboys have one injury since we've talked about injuries and since we re reflected a little bit on the young man in uh, Cincinnati. The injury is Tyler Bidays. The center is out. Connor McGovern will move off the bench to center. That's who stepped in last week. Tyler Smith will move from left tackle to left guard. Jason Peters will move from sort of do-everything bench player to left tackle. Tyron Smith will stay at right tackle. And Zach Martin, who never does anything but play essentially perfect football, will be at right guard where he's supposed to be. The line at this point is the Cowboys minus seven. The over and under is 40 and a half. Vegas says this is essentially a 24-17, 24-18 win by the Dallas Cowboys-ish. Uh, take that for what it's worth. Washington will not roll over. Ron Rivera is a very good coach. They have a very good defense. They can run the football. They will try and slow this down no matter what Sam Howell can or cannot do. Uh, the Cowboys have an opportunity here uh, to sack a young man who's probably going to get it out of his hands pretty quickly if he can, but he's also going to get confused. Likely he throws digs an interception. Likely he gets sacked three, four, or five times, and the Cowboys then can finish in the top two in sacks. Kind of cool. 
They will finish number one in turnovers. I anticipate one or two turnovers in this game, at least on their side. The offense will average over 35 points a game when season has come to end under Dak Prescott as the quarterback. They now have a top five red zone offense. They are cashing in the red zone. Very important when you're going to the playoffs. They have a top five third down efficient conversion team. Very important when you're going to the playoffs to play the best teams. The reason Mahomes keeps going up and down the field is because he can convert third and what the fuck ever. The Cowboys are proving to be able to do the very same thing as evidenced, right? By Dak Prescott to T.Y. Hilton for 52 yards on third and 30. Can't even happen. Can happen, shouldn't happen. But isn't it nice to have T.Y. Hilton as a little addition to this team? Adds a little energy to my house, doesn't it to you? T.Y. Hilton's here. And he says he's fast and he's got... Three catches and one pass interference penalty, I think, in two games. And yet, he looks fast. And the guys in the locker room are raving about him. CD apparently is soaking up everything he can get from this 10-year veteran. And it's pretty cool to have him here. And with the losses, the addition of T.Y. Hilton turns out to be a little bit of genius, doesn't it? There's some others. The Cowboys could also have two, I wrote T.O., that's not very good, two T.W.O., 1,000-yard running backs, two. Zeke is 134 yards short, traveling to Washington. Probably not, but maybe. It's been a pretty damn good season for Zeke, even if it doesn't get to 1,000 yards, hasn't it? It's been a damn, I just I just will tell you, it has. It's been an unbelievable season for Tony Pollard, one that all of us who are pundits and know it all said, we saw this shit coming three years ago. What's taking so long? Pollard needs 12 yards to get over 1,000 yards. C.D. Lamb could be the first to 1,400 yards since Michael Irvin. He needs 93 to get there. Now, Michael went over 1,400 yards twice, 1,550, maybe in 1991, if you think about that for a second. That's relatively impressive. I'm pretty sure 91 was a seven or an eight-win season. And then 1,600 yards in, I can't remember, but maybe his third or fourth to last year. Probably 95 would be my guess. Pretty impressive stuff. CeeDee Lamb has done what I said for the first eight weeks. He wasn't. He has ascended and grabbed and taken on the role of number one wide receiver. Four 100-yard games in his last seven games. Dak is on point, is confident, and is ready to go. CD has soaked that up. He's heard everything that we're saying. He's taken in everything from the press, the media, and certainly most importantly from all of his coaches and now looks clearly, doesn't he? Clearly, you would say CD Lamb approaching 1,400 total yards with, I think, eight touchdowns is a number one wide receiver. He didn't play like that based on route running, level of interest, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, for the first eight games. Can you imagine if he'd have played this well all eight games, we'd be approaching a 2,000-yard season possibly, and that could be in his future. He has turned out to be now a leader, and he is certainly willingly taking on the role of, I'm the guy. I'm the number one guy. And that also means that when I run a route and I see two people around me, I'm not giving up. Because one, he'll still throw it to me if I'm open this much. And two, I'm the number one wide receiver. I have responsibility here to this team. And he stepped up and absolutely done it. So it is added tremendously. T.Y. is here. That will help. Gallup could be more consistent. That would help. Schultz looks like he's healthy. That will help. Uh, All of it's pretty damn good. You also have seven pro bowlers. If you want to celebrate a little bit, I'm cool with that. Zach Martin is number one on my list because he's going to play all 17 games, and he's given up one sack. And he's given up 
hmm, I think one or two holding penalties. And every time it happens, we all go, that has to have been a shit call. Because for the most part, it probably was. Zach Martin, C.D. Lamb, Tony Pollard, Tank Lawrence, Diggs, Parsons, and Cavante Turpin, the MVP of the United States Football League, who now has played roughly 22 games, hardly without a day off, straight from the USFL, right to the Dallas Cowboys. Come and make this team. Okay, I'll return two kicks for touchdowns in the second preseason game, and I'm in. And now I've made the Pro Bowl. And when Jerry Jones picked up the phone to call Cavante Turpin, he thought he might be getting released. He was being told he'd made the Pro Bowl. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Number two seed for the Cowboys, maybe. Number one seed, not likely that both San Francisco and Philadelphia lose, but I could see one of them losing. It has to be Philadelphia, first and foremost, for the Cowboys to move to. Philadelphia and San Francisco gets the Cowboys to number one. So if you get to two, you want Rodgers here at home? Hell yes, you do as opposed to number five seed and being on the road in Tampa, because when you win in Tampa, you're probably on the road again. Not to say this team can't win on the road. It certainly can't. This is a well-rounded team. It needs health. It needs to get through week 18 without any more injuries. So if you're praying, and we all are, uh, then winning, to be honest with you, clearly secondary in this game to people not getting hurt. Back to my point of, I'm not even sure this is a good thing. And you're going to hate this, and all Cowboys coaches would turn around and walk the fuck away from me. But they should have rested last week. I wish they were resting this week. Because the really good Cowboys team that we have seen, where the defense was frigging dominant for the first eight or nine games of the year, is not here. And they could have used a couple of weeks off key players. The offense is here and fully robust and playing very well. But you don't think Zeke could use a week off? He definitely could. Even Pollard, right? Coming back off an injury, he got a week off, but that was forced because of the thigh. These guys could use some time off. They're not going to get it. That's not the way the NFL works. And now as I look at what's going to happen with seeding in the AFC, I have no fucking idea how the NFL works. I have no idea that they're talking about playing home playoff games in neutral sites. What the fuck are they doing? I say that about the NFL all the time. When I watch 31 flags being thrown in a football game for no particular reason, when I watch NFL teams, be they our Cowboys or my Chiefs or whatever else, every team in every city has this, you know what they do? They have to find out who the, the refereeing crew is that's coming to town. And then they have to find out that Carl Sheffers or et cetera, or et cetera, et cetera, will call 17 penalties on you in a minute. They will insert themselves into a game. They will slow your game down. They will take rhythm out of a game. They will take the ball out of the skill position player's hands, and they will take the athleticism out of the game, and they will throw lots of flags. Damnedest thing ever. I tell you, I've, I've had a remedy for this for a long time. Somebody bring me the 1978 rule book. Bring it to me and open it up. And let's just start there because in 1978, when a tight end would have done a little circle route out in front of the, uh, out in front of the quarterback and he would have caught a pass for eight yards and he would have caught it and you knew he caught it and he got rocked by a helmet in the back, which by the way, wouldn't have been a penalty and he dropped the ball and the other team picked it up. It would have been a fumble and nobody would have said a damn thing because our eyes glasses or not could all see the young man caught the ball. 
He didn't need to call home. He didn't need to sign it with a pen for his mom. He didn't need to take three steps. He didn't need to take a football move. You ever heard anything more ridiculous? Want to talk about ridiculous? A football move. What's a football move? Well, the truth is it's different for everyone. When the Cowboys wide receiver, um, Des Bryant, gosh, it's tough to get old. When Des Bryant went up and caught that ball in Green Bay, his football move as he hit the ground with both feet was to tuck it. That's what he always did. He would take that ball out of these hands and tuck it and then go. He did. He caught it. He came down, one, two, tucked it, and went and took a couple of more steps. And somehow or another, that wasn't a catch. Just like Calvin Johnson catches the ball, celebrates in the end zone, leans over to hold himself up by putting the ball on the ground about six seconds after he caught it, and that's not a catch either. Only the NFL. Only the NFL. And I will leave you with this. If you're watching an NFL game, remember now, because all of us need to know the rules, but if we don't, don't worry. Sitting next to Troy or Roma or whoever it is that's in the booth is another official because no one knows the rules. So you got to bring in another official to explain the rules to the guys who are in the booth who don't know the rules either because there's too many fucking rules. Remember this. As a running back, when I run and I get tackled and I'm going to the ground and my elbow hits and the ball comes loose, we all know it's not a fumble. Why? Because the ground can't cause a fumble. All right. I can live with that. As a wide receiver, when you go up on the sidelines to make a catch and you make the catch and you come down and you tuck it into your chest and you go tap, tap, and you get two feet down and you fall out of bounds and the ball then comes loose when you hit the ground out of bounds, that's an incomplete pass because you have to, quote, control the catch through the ground. The ground can't cause a fumble for them. The ground has to be survived despite a catch, two feet down, a tuck, a wink to the fans, and falling to the ground. You've got to survive the fucking ground. Enjoy this Sunday. It's going to be great. The NFL has had a really good season. The young man in Cincinnati is alive and talking to his mother, and there's nothing better than that nor more important than that. So I'm so thrilled that that kid is okay. And I'm thrilled that the holidays came and went and hopefully all of you were blessed and loved each other a little bit more than we have been lately. I'm Brady Tinker. It's off of the helmets and I will be back with you next Friday.